Welcome back to the Power Switch, gaming's call-in talk radio show. My name is Peter Spasia, and today is August 13th, 2017. This is the 35th episode of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We use Discord as a means to add and drop callers to talk about video games and switch the power that is found in a typical gaming podcast. You can join our server to participate during recordings at rhymeswithasia.com slash call. Well, thank you for joining me this week. We have a guest. I'd like to welcome Matt Zawadniak. He's been a contributor to the Power Switch. He's also worked in radio. Matt, welcome to the show as a uh, as a guest host. Uh, hey. you know, yeah, appreciate your, your time here. I'd say it's a little uh, generous to say I worked in radio. I studied radio and I I work at a radio station, but I wouldn't say that I've worked in radio. Well, I <laughs> I think it's more so than I have or many of us have. I'd be interested to hear your your kind of you know view on the industry as it currently is. So, I mean, I guess what do you do there and uh, you know what's what's it like to be in the radio business? Well, like I said, to say that I work in radio is uh, very generous. I work in their traffic department, which does not mean does not have anything to do with uh, cars or traffic on the roads. <laughs> uh, it is my job to fit together uh, where advertising runs on the logs for the days. Mm, um, yep. The job that I'm doing right now has nothing to do with my degree. Uh, there are people that or study totally different fields in my department and a couple people that uh, didn't graduate college at all. So I am working for a media company, yes, but the closest that I've gotten to working in radio was at my college's radio station, which uh, I was very closely involved in that. I was news director for a year, operations manager for a year after that. Um, I was there a total of three years overall. And it was just a school station, but it was because, you know, they, they modeled it as closely as they could after real proper commercial stations. Uh, so I, I feel like I've gotten a decent idea as to how a station works, but the industry itself, all the politics of it, I haven't quite interacted with yet. Hmm. Well, you're certainly well-spoken on air. You speak well about games from your, your pastimes calling into the show. So I wanted to have you on as more of a, a guest component, uh, kind of get you talking about games here. Uh, let's start with what we're playing. I want to know what it is you're playing recently. So uh, just yesterday, I started playing Near Automata. It's been on my waiting to play list for a while now, and I'm I'm really excited to have finally gotten to it. I actually uh, I'm playing the PC version, and I was playing it on uh, on Steam Share because a friend of mine has a ton of Steam games, and he buys all the new games, so I don't have to. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a nice connection. Yep. Uh, I played for a couple hours, and then he started playing it, and I was like, "Oh, that's <laughs> cool. It's really cool to see that he's playing." But now I can't play no. because you can't use someone's library. <laughs> so I was like. Okay, screw it. Let's drop $60, <laughs> which should tell you a bit about how I feel about the game. Yeah, um, it's, it's a strong contender for, for Game of the Year this year. I've heard it. You know, a lot of people praise it highly. I'm still very early in, um, and if it keeps up the quality that it is right now through the rest of the game, it might currently be my choice. Wow. You know, Mario Odyssey's still off in the distance. That's a big, a big competition, but, you know, as it is right now, it would beat Zelda. It would beat Yakuza. It would definitely beat Persona. Unfortunately, as much as it, I hate to say it, that game's not in contention for me anymore. That that really does speak highly, and the, I think it really comes down to like if you dig the Platinum Games action of it. Uh, I think that's where it fell short for me. I found myself switching more often than not to the auto play to kind of have it, you know, in a way play for you, um, and mm-hmm. that kind of just you know told me enough that like. I, I like a lot of what it's doing. I mean, the soundtrack in the game is phenomenal. Uh, I still find myself listening to that at least you know today. 
Um, uh, undoubtedly best soundtrack of the year. I can say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's up there. I mean, I, I think persona five may still edge that out for me, but it's, it's, you know, one, a one B it's, it's really close. Um, but yeah, as far as I got, I got to, you know, ending a, which is the first of the games. I think they have actually, you know, five main endings. Um, there is technically 26 endings, one for each of the letter of the alphabet, mm-hmm. but many of them are just small joke endings. Yeah. So there are five proper endings. Yeah. I mean, like you remove, um, you remove the core AI that makes, you know, your main character work. I mean, you die game over, right? So mm-hmm. it's a bit of a misnomer to call them endings in the way that people usually think about them because people usually think, oh, alternate endings, play the game over again and you'll get a different ending. Mm-hmm. But actually, the playthroughs after your first one are substantially different. Yeah. Um, or shorter, this, uh, yeah. Yes, well, the second playthrough, uh, I would liken it to the difference between Hero Story and Dark Story back in Sonic Adventure 2. <laughs> Good callback, yeah. Um, where there, some elements are of it are the same, uh, but many of them are different. And then... The third and fourth playthroughs uh, are completely different, like have nothing to do with what you did in the previous two. Hmm. So it's there's a substantial amount of game there. And had you played, you know, many platinum games before this? I'm trying to think, you know, how to, to recommend it to someone. But, you know, I, I found the action very similar to something like Bayonetta in a way, of course, you know, the same studio. Um, but have you played a, any kind of platinum games before this? Uh, this would be my third and a half game. I never finished Bayonetta two, but I I've played Metal Gear Rising and oh, Bayonetta yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, Metal Gear Rising, I played a long time ago, and I didn't really give it a fair shot. Bayonetta, I felt had something very good there, but ultimately kind of fell flat for me. Bayonetta two, I remember liking very very much, but there was it it came out mere weeks before Smash Brothers on Wii U. So right. I simply didn't finish it in time, and then I haven't had the chance to go back to it. Yeah, Metal Gear uh, Rising is a really good comparison, especially with the the sword, you know, action there. I find Near Automata to be somewhat different from the traditional platinum experiences. As far as you can say, there is a traditional platinum experience because this is the genre they're most known for. But they've also done like Wonderful One Hundred One. They've done Star Fox Zero. They've done some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. at one point. Yeah. So. They're a very multifaceted company, but this is definitely along the lines of the game that they're most known for. Uh, but it's also more of an adventure game as well. Um, and I think that the the hardcore nature of the combat in Bayonetta, which is more of a score attack game than anything, true. when it comes down to it, that's toned down. This is more of an adventure game with a, a, a bit of a streamlined combat system. And I've, I've spent the entire day pretty much doing side quests, um... I got to a certain point yesterday uh, and then spent the entire day today doing side quests and then jumped into the main story in my last hour and found, oh, now I've unlocked fast travel. That would have been nice yep, to have yep, while I was that's... doing all those side, track, <laughs> side quests. That's a big moment there. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely look forward to you playing more. It seems like you're, you're really digging it. I, I really want to see the rest of it on YouTube. But it's if anyone's on the fence, I mean, definitely at least give it a try. Like It's, it's an important game to play this year for sure. By and far, it's absolutely excellent. Um, I have been finally getting to the story mode of Splatoon 2, hmm. which is, well, it is certainly Splatoon 2. <laughs> uh, I, I'm i not quite sure what I expected of it, but it is more, more of the same compared to Splatoon 1 than I expected it to be. Uh, I'm very happy with the multiplayer in Splatoon 2 um, because I think that it's a step up in just the right ways, but 
the single player, something just, I mean, I'm having fun with it. I played it on a three hour flight and enjoyed it, but just some, there's nothing pulling me to it. And I'm, I can't quite vocalize why that is. Hmm. Well, uh, I mean, hopefully it's, you know, a short enough campaign. You can power through it. It, it seems like at least mm-hmm. the first one from what I heard was like, you know, five, six hours, maybe from what I know, it's very short. Okay. Um, I've, I've also, um, we're going to, we'll touch on it very briefly later, but I've, I've been playing a lot of overwatch, uh, as the summer games event rolls in and it's always good for me to get back into that game. Uh, that's one of the few games that like I go in and play ranked competitively. And according to my rank, I'm not terribly good at it, but I, I want, I want to keep trying to improve, get better. So I'm playing it a lot now, uh, and sort of getting my, my head around the, the meta, so to speak. Hmm. The one thing that I haven't figured out is team composition. I will never figure that out in any game at all. But I, I, I'm like getting a better game sense for like what the enemy is doing and how to counter their movements. All right. Well, I have been playing Batman: The Enemy Within. Uh, it's Telltale season two of Batman, and the first episode came out. Uh, it keeps up the Batman quality. Uh, I don't think there's been a, a lost step. If anything, but they've been trying new things uh you know they definitely you know put their mark on what they think their version of the batman universe should be uh you know including your big changes or character tweaks uh one of the interesting things i found was in the promotion they've been you know hyping up that you know riddler is a big deal in this first episode uh and he's played by robin atkin downs uh who is cos miller in uh, MGS five. So to hear his voice come out of Riddler is, is certainly interesting. I think that was a, a good casting there. Uh, the big deal in this one though, at least from how does it, you know, change the telltale formula? We had a good conversation on a past episode, you and I of, uh, mm-hmm. of telltale and, you know, the direction that they're going, uh, in addition to, you know, the big moments that each telltale episode is kind of known for these, these one way or the other sort of decisions, you're making these decisions along the way and they have something pop up that, you know, your relationship with this character has changed. And in the ending sort of recap of what happened and how your choices affected things, uh, you're, you're looking at, you know, Batman or Bruce Wayne's relationship with these key pivotal characters and where you stand with them and what choices made, you know, what kind of, how it molded that relationship. So is, is your relationship strained with this person or are you on you know good terms with this person? Uh, I think it kind of fleshes out a little deeper on an episode by episode basis, like where you're at with these, these key players. Uh, and I think that makes it, that makes it very interesting. Also uh, in some of the key action moments, uh, you'll get a, one choice or the other option. Like, do you want to, you know, roundhouse kick this person or do you want to, you know, pull them with your bat grapple and, and punch them as so like it kind of mixes that up a little bit more like that's not a, a huge difference but it kind of mixes up the action a little bit um yeah the story is really really good uh it i'm they set it up well and they they definitely put their marks on it i mean they you know no spoilers or anything like that but uh they i'm looking forward to the upcoming episodes for that because yeah that series is one of my favorite games from last year and uh good to see them continue with uh season two especially so right around the corner such a quick turnaround from season one there uh i have other games that i've been looking forward to getting to and i probably will uh continue at least one of these tonight but uh res infinite was a surprise drop on steam vr and oculus so to get that on pc 
my brother popped for that one so I'll be checking that out that's a, a couple hours experience but people were talking about that about as you know one of the the best PlayStation VR experiences at least at its launch so I'm looking forward to seeing that in in Vive and then Ghost Recon Wildlands Ubisoft has a couple games where you have like five hour trials on console. Uh, so if you want to check out Ghost Recon Wildlands or For Honor's another one, uh, but you know, download the full game, play the first five hours or so. If you choose to get the game, your progress would continue over. Uh, so I'm interested to check out Ghost Recon Wildlands. Uh, I'm in the, the housing hunt. This is the last episode where I'm no longer a homeowner. So during the week we'll be closing on a place. And so, once that is done, the, the kind of credit checks are off. Big purchases can be made. Looking into deals for console bundles, this may be the week we also get an Xbox One. Uh, you know, Best Buy has a deal where you buy a, a one terabyte Xbox One S and you get any game, $59.99 or under free. Uh, and that includes pre-orders and whatnot. And so I'm looking, I'm like, what game would I play on Xbox One that's you know the best place to play that game? I mean, the it's, new Bubsy collection. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that'd be like what, fifteen, twenty bucks or so. You gotta gotta make the most uh, for the value there. But you know, what isn't better on PlayStation Four? What isn't better on PC? And it's like maybe Madden. I I don't know. If it were something like you know Star Wars Battlefront Two, like that's gonna be better on PS Four. If it were Overwatch Game of the Year Edition, well, that'd be better on PC. It's hard to kind of pick there, but uh, I'll eventually have to make a call there one way or the other. It might end up with Madden. Uh, coming up, I you know, tweeted at you and uh, we had Doba who calls into the show as well. I tweeted on my personal Twitter account that Yakuza 0 is coming up in the Gamefly queue that probably arrives tomorrow. I'm looking forward to giving that a try. You'll be finishing that up right around the time that Yakuza Kiwami starts. Very true. Very true. It's a big, big year for Yakuza. Also on Tuesday, Sonic Mania. That's uh, another it's funny, big It's funny one. you say it's a big, big year for Yakuza because in, in its home country of Japan, it's getting no new games this year. <laughs> well, yeah. Because came out Yakuza a couple years Zero ago. came out three years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to have it kind of finally land westward and in a big, impactful way, that's, that's a big deal for that franchise for sure. But yeah, Tuesday's big, you know, Sonic Mania uh, on all the different platforms, except PC that got pushed back a couple weeks for uh, to really refine it. And, I, you know, I guess PC players also get Sonic 1 to compensate. It's not like they wouldn't already own that. Uh, and then Undertale's come to PS4 and Vita. I think I'm looking forward to playing that on Vita portably on, on my work travel that's coming up. So lots to play. The year of 2017 continues in a big way for games. But let's get to our headline roundup. Matt, we start with Middle Earth Shadow of War adding microtransactions, uh, which is unusual to always see for a, a full $60 single player game. But the idea here is that, you know, oh, you can buy gold to get these in a way loot boxes where you can add you know either loot weapons orcs to your army uh, and it helps speed the single player process along and so people say well you know as long as I mean there's really multiplayer well there's kind of the forward operating bases comparison to Metal Gear Solid 5 where you have these little outposts that you can do sort of PvP battles and like the bot elements can be impacted there of course they they always give the talking point where 
you know, the, the single player content, you know, you can not buy any microtransactions and you can still have a fine single player experience, but it just, it may take longer. Uh, your thoughts on, on microtransactions in these single player games? So there were two Western developed games that I cared about for the rest of the year. It was Shadow of War and Star Wars Battlefront 2. And both of them, because of loot boxes and microtransactions, I don't care anymore. Wow. Wow. That really, really goes to show. And I'm sure they're going to make a difference, you know, in the end financially. I mean, you're seeing what it does with Overwatch and like that pulls in, in crazy money. But, you know, Overwatch is a, a great competitive game on its own. And those are all cosmetic. Uh, you know, they don't really affect the balance overall. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting. I see a lot of comments of like, well, this is a great way for me not to care about this game anymore. And yeah, that that's really tough. You can't put gotcha pawn mechanics like this in a single player $60 game. It's I think it's unacceptable. There's there's I don't think there's anything to say about it. It's just inherently wrong. Mm -hmm. It's it's affecting the gameplay of a single player game using loot chests like Gotcha Pond's bad enough on mobile where the games are free. Right. Yeah, that's a really delicate situation. I'm I'm not someone who was really looking forward to this game, but I agree. Like that, if I was interested, that would definitely put a black mark on it for sure. One year later, No Man's Sky has released their massive Atlas Rising update. And you know, kudos to to Sean Murray and that team. Uh, they're they're making big changes. It's apparently streamlined travel, 30 hours of new story, new aliens, new ships, better graphics, and even some rudimentary multiplayer. Yes, players are starting to see each other for real in the No Man's Sky world. Uh, you know, I, I think this is just worth mentioning the continuing saga of that game. Many people may not care anymore. Uh, I think they were talking about their their player base, and maybe they're at you know whether it's a quarter or a half million you know players, something like that. They had this big ARG going. Uh, I'm glad that they could at least find some life after the disaster that was that launch. Uh, I mean, it's never a bad thing for a game to start turning around and make things better, but uh, public image of that company took a hit. It is still tough to say that we can trust with their word ever again given it took a year to get some of the most basic features that they promised at launch. Right, right. And it's a free update, so if you still have your No Man's Sky sitting in your library somewhere, maybe boot it back up, give it another try if that interests you. Polygon has parted ways with their video producer Nick Robinson after Twitter allegations. A uh, real, real nasty story here uh, and worth mentioning because it really kind of got the, the gaming community in a bit of a frenzy. Uh, he was you know, taking a shot at Overcooked and their Switch port, and then you had people kind of take shots at him based on uh, his interactions with women in the games industry and uh, really inappropriate you know, sexual advances. Uh, you know, just, I guess you know, he, his personality grew for, for being on different podcasts, I and mean, he had Cool Games Inc., which is a game podcast where you could pitch different games, and he had Carboys with, uh, I think it was Griffin McElroy, uh, where they looked at this, you know, car video game and all the physics there. I get his his personality grew, and then his overall maturity level didn't. Uh, you know, I, he put out, I think, all things considered, a fair apology, uh, and he has a lot to learn. He has to, you know, take some time away. Uh, it's just unfortunate when you know, I I've, I've seen him on different podcasts. He seemed like a good dude, and uh, when you see things like that happen, it's like, yeah, dude, you you fucked up. Like, there's there's no no words for that. I frankly never heard of him before this all started. Hmm. I've no opinion on him, so 
you know, what he did, I could say, is objectively wrong, but I don't know who he is, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't follow Polygon, so. Yeah. No, um, it's, it's the right move for sure. And it's it's not acceptable in any way. Uh, but it's just, it's really got the game industry talking. And it's, it really just comes down to you have to be professional uh, in, in whatever you do. I mean, if you start interacting with people in your industry, you better be, you know, your best self to them. Because it's, especially when it's a, a small family in a way like that, it's all going to come back around and bite you. So, you know, you got to communicate in, in your best way online. Like that's, that's really all it comes down to. Overwatch, we mentioned you, you're big into that. They're to receive a free deathmatch mode, which is, you know, for a game that's based in, uh, you know, cooperation and teamwork, you know, whether you're delivering the payload or, or other objectives uh, to finally go towards deathmatch, which is, I think something that the team said they'd never really do. Uh, that's, that's an interesting move. I'm curious on your take on it. Um, so this is actually playable on their public test realm right now. Essentially, they're open beta for new features coming. Uh, so I've had a chance to play it. Uh, it's going to be in their arcade mode section, so they won't be doing any character balance or uh, any design decisions around it. It won't be a main function of the game. And I do think it's a fun novelty. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. It changes the way that you think about the game and characters in it. But at its at its heart, Overwatch is a six v six cooperative game for uh, built around objectives. The characters really are not balanced for this mode. So uh, in free for alls, there are about three viable characters, hmm. and I've had a ton of time with the team death matches, but they're overall kind of shallow and very fleeting. I'm most excited about this for the custom game mode because Overwatch has a very robust custom game mode where you can. Uh, change up uh, tons and tons of things about how you, uh, how the game works, the physics, the balance, the you know certain moves being enabled and disabled. It makes for a very hectic and wacky game. And this having a free for all mode in that opens up the door for new things. I had a me and some friends made a mode in the PTR called the Highest of Noons, where it was all McCree <laughs> death, uh, free for all death match, instant kill. Uh, as soon as you hit someone with one shot, your ultimate charges completely, and you could jump into the air with no gravity whatsoever. So you could do his high noon ultimate and instantly kill six people on the map all at once. Dang. <laughs> I, I think to someone like me who you know, tinkered a bit with Overwatch wasn't necessarily for them. I, I think an announcement like this piques my interest a little bit more. I, I will say that it just shows, you know, the versatility of the platform you're seeing in something like Overwatch League, how it's growing in the professional circuit. So clearly the game has legs. Clearly the game is going to be around for quite some time. Uh, and to show, you know, that you can put in a mode like this, have it be free, as you say, not have it affect the character balance. Uh, I think that's that's a big boon for it. Like that's a big win. And uh, so I'm I'm curious to see maybe do i pick it back up with something like this but it's a, it's a great announcement it's good also that all of their updates are free they have never charged for any additions to the game and they do not plan to do so so anytime that you kind of like lapse for a bit because lost your interest whenever something new pops up you can immediately jump back in with no commitments so the game is positioned to have a lot of longevity as, as long as they keep doing updates yeah, and it works perfectly well when you're making so much money on the loot boxes. So good on Blizzard for that one for sure. And finally, Nintendo World Championships is back 
for 2017. Now, granted, I think World Championships at this point, a bit of a misnomer. Uh, these are certain locations throughout the United States where you're doing time yeah, trials. Locations. Yeah, yeah. So you gotta gotta travel if you want to participate. You know, Mario Kart Seven, uh, Luigi's Mansion. You know, do two time trials. You know pick the best time and if you're a winner there you get to move on uh i think this is more mario interesting Kart seven that's two mario karts ago right right but i think it's on it's on 3ds you know everyone should be able to access it it's a bigger net to cast i think that's a tough call i think the more interesting thing there i mean on october 7th they'll have the actual world championships and that ties up with new york comic-con i think it's around that time so that makes sense i have to wonder why do you bring this back this year after taking the year off in twenty seven or twenty sixteen rather? Do you have a game to announce? They have to. There's no. I can't imagine any other reason they'd be doing this. If Smash was, Brothers for Switch is not announced here, I, I think it's a big mistake. I still not convinced Smash Brothers for Switch exists <laughs> or uh, yeah. ever will. Well, at this point, if you're well, if you're waiting so long, yeah. Obviously, there will be a Smash Brothers for Switch eventually, but I I am not convinced and net and do not necessarily believe that a port of smash brothers for wii u to switch exists mm -hmm. well um, you know i think if you're talking about world championships and and competitive games and things like that and if you want to make a splash i i just think it's unusual they, they take the year off in 2015 was the big deal at e3 right before that but that was a great event uh but yeah they took 2016 off and to bring it back this year there has to be a reason uh so i'm, I'm curious they may also be uh, positioning it to sort of headline something that they've already announced but isn't necessarily on our radar because that's what they did last time with Super Mario Maker. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't necessarily care about Super Mario Maker until we saw it at the Nintendo World Championships. Yeah. Then interest went way, way up because we did already know about the game, but no one cared as much until that event. And then everyone cared. They're talking so, about demos for Super Mario Odyssey and Metroid Samus Returns at these Best Buy locations. Uh, so, yeah, I wonder if, you know, they'll do some sort of thing with Mario Odyssey. I'm also pretty sure that that's on the actual nwc.nintendo.com. I've never seen that Art of Link before on the, hmm. on the side. Hmm, interesting. Uh, DLC for Breath of the Wild? <laughs> Maybe? I, I don't know. Something to keep uh -huh. in mind for sure. But let's get to our main topic for the show. It really caused a stir and just really interesting game marketing overall. Uh, you know, last week for our Games for August segment at the end of the show, we talked about Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, which is this, you know, not it's a, kind of a triple A kind of effort from Ninja Theory. So, you know, DMC Devil May Cry. Uh, we have Heavenly Sword, you know, these kind of action games from them. But they're kind of putting forth this big effort, but releasing at a $30 price point and seeing how that goes for them. It's a six-hour game. Uh, it's interesting to really see the reaction from people playing it. And it seems like there's a lot of good quality here, you know, storytelling and the like. But what really caught everyone's eye is that at the beginning of the game, reviews were reporting that the text pops up on the screen that says, The dark rot will grow each time you fail. If the rot reaches Senua's head... Her quest is over, and all progress will be lost. And so this brings up the topic of permadeath. Uh, you know, what did you think when you first saw this story? This game uh, came on my radar very recently um, when the uh, the best friends did a let's play of it, which I actually still have not watched this that video yet. But I skimmed through it, and the the game looks very fantastic from mm. what I can see. And the game is about 
a character who is going through uh, deep psychosis and you know struggling with you know just sort of like a fight to to survive not only against things in the world but also against her her own mind struggling with the will to continue um, in the face of you know great risk struggle adversity um, and the the aspect of this sort of roguelike permadeath that they've added is meant to sort of put the player into that mindset, mm-hmm. put them into the mindset of being very unnerved and panicked that each move could genuinely be their last. It's something where they try to make the mechanics of the game support the narrative. And I think that the way that they've done it is something very interesting and unique. It is something that I'm that I would like to see them carry through. It's a game that doesn't compromise its its own message and narrative and mechanics for the sake of what everyone thinks a game should be. And I've seen some people call this an objectively bad design decision, which I think is is very upsetting. Imagine if every movie had to have a streamlined plot so that it was fully accessible to everyone. The the sheer art of filmmaking would suffer for that. So I don't understand why people want to impose those restrictions instead on games and say that because this makes the game less accessible, it is inherently bad. I think that feeling that way does nothing but hold gaming back. Because I think that there there is the idea of using the unique pieces of what make games compared to other media, using those to our advantage to craft new stories and new experiences is something that we should be looking at with interest. And maybe it won't work. Maybe it'll end up being clumsy. But we shouldn't just dismiss it offhand from a headline. Preach, my man. I mean, that's that's really the, the crux of it, I think, is you know, when it came down to it, people were starting to dig more like, how does this permadeath mechanic work? And it may end up being all of a bluff. I mean, I think people are still trying to experience it. And I don't I haven't seen too many reports of people like actually losing their save files. I mean, right from the beginning, people are trying to die, you know, so very often like the, the rot isn't killing Senua. But you're right. It, it's based on the specific goals and theming, as you mentioned, of the psychosis. And it's a game where they recommend you know surround sound or or headphones because you have these characters of the Furies who are kind of you know, whispering or, or being the voices inside Senua's head and you know casting a lot of doubt and you know in, inflicting that fear in a way. And it's it, it really kind of builds on not only her emotions and mental state, but it really affects the player as well. And yeah, again. As you said, it it really is, you know, narrative, you know, built out into game mechanic, and I think that's that's a really, really important thing. You were seeing a lot of people say, "Well, well permadeath is a terrible thing; it should never be in games, and it's, it's an outdated mechanic." Uh, you know, back from a time where they're trying to extract money, and so it's bad. And this is you know, people who haven't played the game. I mean, Total Biscuit was a, a noted example of you know making these big hot takes on Twitter, but not playing the game and understanding its its purpose in there uh you know and you're right when it comes down to game developers and how do we want games to move forward do we just want all you know triple a games to just keep trying the same things you know have the same kinds of experiences with slight little tweaks or do we want developers to take risks now granted it would be a big risk for a company who's not only you know kind of experimenting on what kind of game they can make, but also experimenting with the price point in the market. At the end of the day, you know, the market's going to decide whether they want to play this or not. And it just made for 
unusual messaging, I think, on launch day, you know, when those review embargoes were up. Uh, you could have had a you know game that was just you know shining uh, based on stellar reviews. I mean, getting a lot of high eights, low nines, really uh, for for Hellblade: Sinuous Sacrifice. But it was really this story that was kind of starting to mar the message a little bit, because some people may just say, "Oh, well, well, Permadeath, I'm not going to buy it," and then not read any further. Granted, some people may say, you know, it's, oh, it's spoilers, but I, I would disagree. Uh, but yeah, we need more games to take more risks. I don't believe in compromising the game's core mechanics just for the sake of making things simpler for an audience. Even when we're not talking about uh, the narrative, we can talk just about gameplay mechanics. Another game that has permadeath was Fire Emblem for a long time. Mm. Now, I don't necessarily think that the way that Fire Emblem had permadeath was the best thing in the world because it would be very frustrating to for a random critical hit to take out a unit at the very end of a map. And then you have to start the whole thing over again if you wanted to keep them. But I think that completely doing away with any consequences of losing a unit as a whole was a mistake. It's a reason that I don't enjoy playing Fire Emblem on casual mode is because I find that my play style is completely different. I don't think, what do I need to do to succeed in this instance, I think, how many units do I need to throw at this bad guy before he falls over? Um, if they had implemented something where if your unit fell in battle, then they would they would have to sit out the next battle while they were recovering. Something like that would be a much more effective solution where it's not punishing, but it is still consequential each movement that you make. The game compromised on what it was about for the sake of accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that there is this pervasive idea that we need to make games as accessible as possible. And that is just not what media and art are about. Um, it's a, it's not about being accessible. It's about having something that you want to say or something that you want to do. And we can have places where we make them more accessible when they don't compromise the message. Modes that make things a little lighter for people with disabilities, colorblind mode, things like that. We can make... You know, we can go the extra mile to make things work when when they can. But there comes a certain point where you need to say, this is what I want to make out of this game. Uh, You can't make music for someone who's deaf. You can't have someone who's blind fully experience cinematography. And at some point, you just need to accept that some people just aren't going to be able to get the most out of video games. So I don't like the idea that having something that is inherently more difficult is a bad thing. It's not going to be for everyone, but art rarely is. And I think that this is a game that is trying to have, trying to sort of be art in a way, have a message it wants to tell, and make an impact in a new, unique way. So I don't believe that it is right to say that its permadeath is inherently bad. If we play the game and find that the message doesn't quite line up, that the, the narrative falls flat, then that's something to think about. But people aren't playing this game. They're seeing the word permadeath and immediately writing it off. Mm -hmm. And I think that is bad. Yeah, that's, that's the struggle there. And, uh, I think even for those who were looking forward to this being an actual mechanic and to see it, you know, be a bluff or whatever, I think you even, it just shows the diversity of players that, you know, Oh, like, I'm disappointed that this is, you know, in a way a fake out. I do wonder if something like this, you know, could be patched in on like a very, higher difficulty setting like for to give those players the option and i think it's it's what it comes down to is at least have the option i mean you mentioned something like fire emblem they patched out the option uh, something like xcom 
you know, had that as an option. Uh, so it, it does, it, there's a balance between, you know, the studio's art and the message that they're trying to craft. Uh, but I think, you know, giving players options is always a good thing. I, I would like to see this as a possibility in, in you know, Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice too. Yeah, maybe patch in a higher difficulty to at least have this permadeath as intended. Uh, because it's a six-hour campaign and it puts real stakes in it and it really, you know, puts the pressure on the player as, as the developers really intended. Something to keep an eye on. It's one of those gut checks for the industry to see, you know, where we are in the industry, where we are with games and where we are with, uh, you know, not only the growth, but making games available to players. So that's what we have to say. When we come back, we will get to the callers. We could talk about the permadeath and that situation, the main topic, any of the headlines, games you're playing recently, anything. That's all when we come back here on The Power Switch. Welcome back to the Power Switch. Joined by Matt Zawadniak, who's called into the show. Hey. Uh, welcome back, of course. Hey. Hey, hey. And so we'll get to the point of the show where we have you, the callers, uh, call in, have your voice heard, share your perspectives. Looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say today. Joining us from Illinois, Video Game Guru 64. Welcome back to the Power Switch. Nice to be back. Yeah, thank you for calling in. What would you like to talk about today? I would like to talk about the Monster Hunter Stories demo that was released for the 3DS, uh, I think it was uh, last Thursday, hmm. and how that demo is significantly different from the anime that's going on uh, right now. It's I think it's at episode 41. Oh my gosh. And it's very, very good. And so this, is a, this is a transmedia project? Yes. Okay. See, I so, can't say so, I've heard of and not only I mean, I know of Monster Hunter stories, been seeing, you know, game announcements for that. didn't know there was demo for one, and then much less didn't know that there was there's an anime going for it. I mean, gosh, episode forty one, that's that's wild. Uh, I guess, you know, to start off, I mean, what is the gist of Monster Hunter stories? What makes it different from a more mainline numbered Monster Hunter installment? The story's completely different. You're in like a village that uh, hunts monsters as they befriend monsters and uh, ride them and keep other monsters and humans from fighting. That's basically the gist of what the anime, but what the Monster Hunter Story game does, it's more like Pokemon, so it's more like uh, you uh, fighting monsters and befriending them but it's still okay so stories i guess you know with more jrpg pokemon like combat as opposed to the main monster hunter games where it's open world and taking down these giant beasts for for loot and making yourself a stronger hunter uh that's it's interesting how they how they mix it up like that though it's it's not quite that inspired by pokemon it's still a monster hunter in that you can pick up uh, orbs and everything on your way to hunt or your way to the next objective. And there's um, you can equip uh, gear to 
upgrade your character and you can have different weapons and everything. So it's not that different from Monster Hunter, but it's uh well, turn based RPG than a action RPG. Hmm, okay. So it, it it does not have the traditional monster hi- monster hunter style combat. No, it doesn't. That's an interesting difference. Now with the anime, uh you know, are we talking about, you know, one main protagonist and his his journey to be the very best monster hunter like no one ever was, or what's the deal there? Not exactly. So um, the anime fo- uh, focuses more on um, main character is Lou, and uh, the default character in the game is named Lou or Sonia if you want to have a girl character. The big thing to get the story rolling is uh, every few use or, or something like that there's a blighted monsters and it it's uh like a dark mist that covers uh the monsters and the land and uh you have to purify them and uh in the anime uh they purify them and don't hurt the monsters well try not to hurt the monsters because they don't know the monsters don't know what they're doing. So going for the anime, like episode 13 is a big turning point for the characters because one of uh, the main character's uh, mom dies. He is crushed by it and he wants revenge for the blighted monsters. So he goes out... Uh, it's not the main character, it's this uh, psychic to the main character. Mm. And he goes off from the uh, main character and uh, finds his own path. And the main character also finds his own path. And they are clashing whenever they meet. And uh, they haven't wrapped it up yet. So mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> I, I don't know everything, but... Yeah, that's the main main crux. So something to keep an eye on for sure. I mean, to give the give the demo a try for Monster Hunter stories, absolutely. And then uh, it's it's good to see you know Monster Hunter a very big thing in Japan. Uh, so where can people check out the anime if they're interested? On uh, Funimation dubbed, and I think it's on Crunchyroll subbed, but I'm not completely sure. I'm pretty sure though it's on Crunchyroll because they have a Thing going on with Funimation. Yeah, yeah, though. they partnered up there. Oh, it's interesting that they get the dub turnaround so quick. That's that's interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, Matt, you're interested in experience with Monster Hunter. I, I mean, I don't have really any, but do you have some? I have tried Monster Hunter games in the past, and um, there's just something about it that I have a lot of trouble getting into. Um, I appreciate very much that there's an idea of crafting your own gear and collecting resources and everything to really prepare for a fight beforehand. Um, but I found the actual loot drops to be too slow and inconsistent. You would have to fight the same enemy over and over again, nope. that, of 10 to I, 20 times. I hated that. <laughs> it was not for me because it was it, there was too much repetition and progress was too slow. I, I, I really appreciate the idea of having to prepare yourself. I did like that, but there was too much of a slog in that preparation. So Hunter Story credit, I've uh, watched a uh, uh, review of the demo 
and it doesn't seem to be uh, that much of a slog, and it doesn't. There's no more uh, random loop drops. It's like drops so, it's, kind of so the drops are consistent a bit more. Yeah. Okay, that that yeah. I think is a very good change. I think I there's I'm more likely to be interested in this game than I am in any other Monster Hunters. Yeah, I want to talk about the uh, death and I agree with you. More developers need to take that risk of uh, having uh, death in their games or some sort of Pomodeth, like not maybe Pomodeth. More more risks. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that uh, the every single game in the world needs permadeath. I would never say yeah. that. Um, yeah, some games like uh, Mario, like the Mario games nowadays, I think are actually a little silly now in how they still have game over states because they're essentially meaningless. Yeah. Um, but there, there's the idea of shaking up traditional conventions, and that's that's what I want to see a bit more of. And of course, when it makes sense with, you know, the game's mechanics, the game's narrative, uh, I think it's all about, you know, sticking to a vision and not just, you know, game development by numbers. It's not just, oh, this is the way things are. So this is the way we must do it. And bup, 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 bup. No, like we got to kind of put games are art, right? So there's got to be yeah. a vision behind it. And yeah, I think if it makes sense, have permadeath in there as an option. Uh, I think that's, you know, appreciated to give more players a, a more you know, diverse options, but I, I could totally respect and understand if a studio was really sticking to that vision. Like say if Hellblade really did stick to this and it wasn't all a, a bluff or what have you. And I say like, no, this is what our game's about. You know, we're, we're trying to cater to those who are interested in that kind of game. And if, if our game isn't for you, I'm sorry to hear that, but you know, that's the way it is. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but isn't there another game on, on Steam that has like Pomodef in it? I would say that a more accurate term here is that it's it's having a roguelike experience. Yeah. Roguelike games are defined by the fact that you get one life and one chance, and it, as soon as you die, you start over from the beginning. Um, it's a whole genre of games, Binding of Isaac being one of the most popular ones. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of roguelike games on the Switch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think, you so, know, another good one, and it's interesting to see, you know, where design differences can carry over. Uh, if you haven't played Rogue Legacy, I mean, give that one a try. And that's one where yeah. you're trying to make progress into this world uh, based on the idea of each life being an ancestor or, or a descendant. And, you know, after you die, like you kind of bring something back, like you have a, a new ability that this new descendant can can go through the world and make further progress in it. Uh but yeah, I mean, for Binding of Isaac, yeah, it's like a start over from scratch. Yeah, and Rogue, of course, uh, Rogue was the obviously the namesake of the genre. So Rogue Legacy, uh, a follow-up to it, uh, definitely worth checking out if this is the kind of game that interests you. Yeah. Yeah, it's just unusual to see it in a, a single-player narrative adventure. And I think that's it's a big step. But yeah, as we talked about before, like I, I'd want to see it patched back in as an option as, you know, as strict as it may have been and possibly intended, uh, just that would be uh, you know cu curious vision to see carried through, and uh, yeah, something to to definitely keep an eye on. But you know, all for developers continuing their visions and and crafting an experience based on that. Well, video hey. game guru sixty four, thank you for calling in. We can find you on Twitter at video game guru sixty four. Uh, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, if you're interested in. Um 
the Monster Hunter stories uh, discussion that we had. This is a good video to check out. Um, it's a review of the demo uh, for Monster Hunter stories. All right, and check it out in the show notes from Gadget Girl Kylie on YouTube. Make sure to, to check that out. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you calling in. You have a great night, all right? Okay. Yep. All right, guys, thanks for calling in. When we come back, we will get to Matt's top five favorite games of all time. I'm looking forward to this list, and hopefully you are too. That will be when we come back here on The Power Switch. Welcome back to the Power Switch. This week's Tempo Control Music is brought to you by Sonic Generations. You can find a new video game music top 10 list from a specific game soundtrack every Tuesday over at youtube.com slash rhymes with Asia. Back here with Matt Zawadniak. Let's go over your top 10, not top 10, rather top five <laughs> favorite games of all time. Looking forward to this list. So I made a point to not count any games that I played for the first time within the last year. Uh, it is very easy for, you know, the newest thing to leave the best impression on you. Yes, a recency so, bias, yeah. Yeah, so I, I wanted to avoid that. So we've got coming in at number five. Uh, this is a game that has been vindicated a bit by history and I think was way ahead of its time in its social commentary. It's Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, nowadays, I place this top in the Metal Gear series even above three because of just how utterly outstanding it was at looking ahead to the future and predicting exactly where society would be right now in this very day um because the way that they that the the ai at the end of the game talked to you about how society is heading what they've become it is dead on absolutely ahead of its time and it's a full-on commentary of the relationship between player and game even the fact that player hates Raiden you're supposed to hate Raiden it's part of the narrative because even Raiden hates Raiden that, you identify with him more by hating him that's why I find it really frustrating when people are all like worst protagonist in games Raiden from Metal Gear Solid 2 like and that they don't even think about those consequences or, or reasons I mean Kojima yeah. brilliant yeah, you you play that entire game wishing you were playing as Solid Snake because Raiden wishes that he was Solid Snake through the whole game. Yeah, it's that is my favorite Metal Gear story, and it's it's up there. Like it's it's really really good. The the gameplay improvements that they made from the original Metal Gear Solid. I mean, so much so that they bring those mechanics back into Twin Snakes uh, for the GameCube. Now it's it's really solid, and and you're right when. When it's it's so spot on for a game that was in two thousand one, and it, it speaks a lot, you know, today sixteen years later, that's it's that's my favorite Metal Gear game. I'd agree. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, coming at number four, the first online game I ever played. Played it for a very long time, and it left one hell of an impression on me. Shaped my taste in gaming to this day. Star Wars Battlefront Two on PlayStation Two. Hmm. Uh, I cannot tell you how much time I put into that game. Maybe more than any other game in my life. Uh, the control point uh, mode in the multiplayer had the real feeling that you were a part of a battle in the Star Wars universe. Uh, and I saw a critique of the new Battlefront nowadays. Of, and like the, the key crucial thing that they got wrong is that 
in the original Battlefront 2 and Battlefront, you felt like you were a soldier in Star Wars. In the new Battlefront, you feel like you're an extra in a Star Wars film. Because there's all this wacky crap going on with jetpacks and power-ups and everything. Star Wars Battlefront 2015 feels like a Star Wars video game. Star Wars Battlefront 2 for PS2 feels like Star Wars. It feels like you are a part of that universe. And the gameplay mechanics as well with reinforcements being the lives for your entire team. They're going down faster if you don't control the battlefields. And ultimately that can be the big deciding factor for who wins the whole battle. Really, truly one of my one of the finest multiplayer experiences I've ever had. Um, even now that the servers have been shut down online, there are still fan servers up. People play the game to this day. There is a reason. Because, goddamn, what a fantastic game. And it really says a lot that when another game comes around to be named Star Wars Battlefront 2, as you mentioned earlier in this episode, that you know your, your interest isn't as high as it could be. I saw a picture online of the opening scene of force awakens uh where kylo ren is uh the new star wars battlefront and uh max von Sydow's character is the uh battlefront 2 the original <laughs> and it's uh kylo ren says look how old you've become and uh max von Sydow says something far worse has happened to you <laughs> oh it all that's, that really says enough what about number three uh that would be uh, one of my earliest experiences with a game that uh, decided to deconstruct its genre. Um, this is not the first game in this series that I played, but it is by far my favorite, Tales of the Abyss. Mm. The Tales series is difficult to play because the idea behind them is that they take all of the generic JRPG anime crap that you're used to, and the first 10 hours of a Tales game are generic JRPG anime crap. It is awful until right around the 10 hour mark, the, the end of the first act of the game, things turn around on their head and it becomes a unique story that is directly addressing these JRPG tropes, cliches, and examining what they could mean in a larger story, breaking it down, making something new out of it, and having a message to go along with it. Uh, it addresses the these ideas and asks the player to make a judgment on what they mean and comes out on the other side with a statement about what this would mean with real people, how this how this kind of world would actually work with all the cynicism and terribleness of humanity, and manages not to be like some edgelord grimdark game while doing it. It still manages to have a light tone. It manages to be very fun while examining these tropes and making a new story out of them. Uh, Tales of Symphonia was the first Tales game that I played, but Tales of the Abyss is the one that to this day I can still go back to and really enjoy, really play over and over. And still to this day, my favorite game in the franchise. It makes me feel really bad that I'm I'm probably right at that 10-hour mark. And yeah, going through the struggles of Luke as a character and how just, you know... <laughs> When when people say like oh he's one of the worst you know video game protagonists like obviously yeah things things change around and as you mentioned but yeah if you take that early sample size yeah, it's, it's pretty shitty. The people that say that are the people that never got through the game mm -hmm. uh, because at the beginning Luke is totally insufferable. He's 
unbelievably terrible as a person but the the point of the game is his character arc as he grows and learns what the world is about what it means to be a part of the world what it means to be human even in his case and he he ends up being one of my favorite protagonists in all of gaming because mm. of the development that he takes over the course of the game um so whenever someone says luke is the worst protagonist that ever said he whines so much he's terrible what that says to me is you didn't get very far in that game yeah and i love the tales franchise yeah tales of the abyss i'm very happy to hear that you're you're in that one um did you ever play any others i know you had a temple control about symphonia but did you ever really play i did i did play i did beat symphonia i did like that okay um and you understand like the arc of a right right yes yes uh and one i really do want to get to we had alex o'neill on the show and a big big tales fan i mean scott white also a huge tales fan uh alex really talks up vesperia and that's one i definitely want to want to try at least vesperia unfortunately i never got around to yeah um, because it was on xbox specifically yeah uh, and the PlayStation version never came to America, mm-hmm. but the uh, I've heard it is among the best. Yeah. Um, probably the only reason that I don't feel that it is is because I never got around to it. And I do really so. want to get back to at least at least to start that turning point because I, I feel like I'm really like right on that precipice. So like that's uh, something. What, I, what about would you say is the most recent thing that's happened? Oh God, no, it's been years. I, I couldn't couldn't possibly say. Uh, so you would probably have to like take another shot at it again then probably would uh i have it on 3ds as well we were playing on ps2 scott and me and but i have it on 3ds so if i ever wanted to you know power through that there at least is that option for portable yeah i i, I would hate to say that you need to start that multiple hour game again but that's <laughs> the tale stories are very dense i'll never i'll i'll always admit they're difficult to get through mm-hmm. so it's if you've if you've gone this long without really getting it then you're probably have to kind of go back to it from the beginning. I do remember that, you know, Luke was, you know, kind of having little mental breakdowns on a ship. Uh, so like, it feels like, you know, maybe things were like starting to happen and then maybe we're going to either the desert or the sewers or something like that, or some dingy town, something like that. I think he got a little while ago. Yeah. Still. Okay. Well, I mean, because we were kind of hitting and getting close to that, but yeah, that's, it's something what I want to get back to. There's a point where he finally gets back to his hometown and then mm. is given like a, a special mission as a hero. Okay. That's where you know it's about to happen. Okay, okay, that's good to know. Essentially, when you hear the word Exeriuth, <laughs> that's the Tower of Salvation. That the name sounds familiar, but I don't know if it was you know part of a, a mission yet. So, mm-hmm. okay, number two. Number two, uh, the Fire Emblem franchise, obviously one of my favorites uh, of all time. So. This has to go to what is my favorite Fire Emblem game, Fire Emblem Path of Radiance on GameCube. Mm-hmm. This was actually my first Fire Emblem. Uh, and to this day, I think it is among the best, if not the best. Um, the Tellius games as they are for, for the, um, the continent that they, they take place on, Ike's games, they are the best intersection of gameplay advancement and genuinely good story that the series has ever had. As much as I do like Awakening, um, I feel like it did suffer a bit in that the story was a bit of a letdown compared to other games in the franchise, specifically Ike's games, the Tellius games. Path of Radiance uh, is almost like a lighter Game of Thrones in how uh, intriguing the politics of the world are, 
how strong the protagonists are in trying to get what they want to do done. It examines themes of uh, racism a bit with the uh, the goo's shape shifting characters uh, versus the the normal humans in the world, and touches on the uh, how those things go directly into the politics of the world, how it affects the ongoing war, uh, diplomacy between nations, all on top of one of the you know one of the finest strategy games I've played in my life. Um, it's a toss-up between Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn. Each one does certain things better than the other. Each one does things worse than the other. Path of Radiance is ultimately what I would say is the better game, uh, but it comes very close between the two. And I, I will always hold those two games up as, you know, one of the best, one of the best moments in the whole franchise. Echoes, I see Video Game Guru sixty four in the chat is is pointing out is a very good one. Echoes very well might surpass them, but unfortunately, like I said, I'm keeping it to games that I had that I played before one year ago today hmm. uh so echoes very well may surpass it but for now i'll leave it with fire emblem path of radiance and i know you've been a big proponent for you know having the representation uh from those games in the these newer fire emblem games specifically you know fire emblem warriors and, and things like that because uh, those fire emblem warriors upsets me so yeah, much yeah because it's been a game that's focused on you know the awakening and fates and when it really came into the the wider gaming mainstream uh but you know those are still important games in fire emblem's history they are and it, it's uh, it's very sad for me to see fates as being held up as one of i guess intelligent systems thinks it's one of their best it's really among their worst mm. the story is kind of garbage <laughs> uh that's not like, a lot of people will say oh the localization was uh, what ruined it no that that story was just garbage mm. Corin is a nonsensical character and nothing makes sense in that plot uh, it was such a disappointment to me. The games themselves are okay. Uh, I still see them as somewhat disappointing, but they're not terrible in the gameplay department. But Fates I hold up as uh, a dark time in the franchise. Very interesting. So then what is your number one? I've held this one as the number one for a very long time, and nothing has managed to dethrone it in many, many years. This is The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Mm. One of the best if you know, if not the best experiences ever in a video game, um, it has a fully fleshed out world of characters that are real. They have a real schedule that they follow over the course of three days. The world comes alive in these characters that have things that they do day to day. They have stories that they do day to day in this bleak near apocalyptic world as you're seeing the emotions that they have for the world ending. You can make a difference in their lives uh, and try to reunite lovers bring families together, manage to even just do such a small thing as help a postman finish his daily route. This game has a world that is real with gameplay that ties directly into this world. The three days mechanic, people think of it as like a strict time limit. It's not that strict when you like when you come down to it because you only need to do finite things within those three days. I've never found it to be difficult to do anything within the course of those three days because you can slow it down a bit. And the only time that there is really anything that needs to be done quickly is a whole dungeon. And a whole dungeon doesn't take those three days unless you truly, truly get stuck and have no idea what to do. And even then you can return to that dungeon already knowing every solution where everything is and probably have some items from it too to jumpstart into it. I've never really felt a criticism of the game that made sense to me because all the criticism seems so superficial. The story is fantastic. The characters are real, are real people that 
are fully fleshed out. The dungeons, while I wouldn't say that they're the best dungeons in the franchise, I'd say that that goes to Twilight Princess. They're very good dungeons with interesting concepts going on, and the whole game comes together so well, it lasts exactly as long as it needs to. I've heard people say that the, that there's not enough dungeons, but the process of leading up to those dungeons are p uh, puzzle environments in themselves. So I would argue there are you know, eight or nine dungeons counting leading up to them. Hmm. So even that criticism never made sense to me. It's one of the most fully formed ideas that the series has ever had. And it came from the idea of take the assets we have and make something new in a year. I would love to see that again. I would love them for them to use the assets, the engines, all of that that they already have and make a new idea out of it since they don't have to spend time getting the technology together. That's what I want to see from more games just in general. I want to see new ideas using the technology that they have, new experiences, because this was one of the best experiences that I've had because it was a risk. It was a new concept that was made just to experiment with what they already had. And it's stuck with me to this day as the most memorable game I've ever played and by far my favorite. Absolutely. Yeah, you'd love to see something like for Breath of the Wild when they have that kind of core in place and seeing what they can do with that. Uh, very, very Breath strong list. Is, yeah, is begging for something like this because they spent so much time getting the technology right that some aspects of the world and the puzzles and the gameplay, the story are lacking. So if you take that outstanding technology that they've already got and make some new ideas with it, we could have one of the best games ever made. Yeah, and they have the DLC coming out later this year. You know, another news story was that Horizon Zero Dawn for a game that launched right around the same time as Breath of the Wild uh, announced their Frozen Wilds DLC for November 7th. And so it would be interesting to see when Breath of the Wild's story DLC comes out. Uh, I got to hope that, you know, they're at least starting pre-production for another future Switch game or whatever next platform maybe after Switch, but kind of using that as a basis. I mean, sure, they could do another, you know, 2D Zelda top-down sort of thing uh, as well, but you know, you don't have all that work go to waste. Absolutely. So yeah, very strong list. I mean, number five, Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty. Number four, Star Wars Battlefront 2 from 2005. Uh, number three, uh, Tales of the Abyss. Number two was Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. And then Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Really, really strong list there. I was almost expecting Persona 3 to, to pop up there. Uh, Persona, as much as it means to me, none of there's no one persona game that I would say comes together so well that there aren't blatant flaws with them. Mm. The games mean, mean very much to me emotionally and they do some really great things uh, and they are definitely outstanding, but it's very difficult for me to include games on my list of best ever, whatever, when there's like something very fundamentally wrong with them in persona three, the, the dungeon of Tartarus is so fundamentally boring mm. and such a chore to get through. It's difficult to say that it feels finished. Uh, persona four. I actually have never finished to be honest. Oh, okay. Cause I, it's been so long that I can't even remember what exactly it was that made me quit playing, but it, I can't really count that one either. And persona five, I can't really go into for for uh, risk of spoilers, but there are definite things in the story that are half baked. In addition to the dungeons, you know, the very first dungeon is the best dungeon in the whole franchise, and then the rest of them are forgettable at best mm. and incredibly frustrating at worst. Yeah. Ah, so I, it's I it, it's a very important series to me. Very great games, but when when we're talking strictly of 
what's the best I've ever played? I just can't count them. Well, it's a very strong list nonetheless. Absolutely. And that'll do it for this episode of The Power Switch. We are hosted by RhymesWithAsia.com and we're on YouTube and Twitch at RhymesWithAsia. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Power Switch. And you can email us any questions, concerns, comments, or opportunities at PowerSwitchPod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to The Power Switch on podcast services such as iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And if you'd be so kind of sleeve review, that would really help as well. But most importantly, to participate in future episodes, you should join our community on Discord by visiting rhymeswithasia.com slash call. And that's a small but growing community. And in these early months of the show, as we continue to grow, it'll be easier than ever to have your voice heard on this podcast. If you want a YouTube video to watch, I came across the YouTuber Soviet Womble, and he has his random bullshittery series. Uh, in particular, this one is based on Arma 3. So Random Arma Bullshittery Part 8 is his latest one. And uh, uh, wife and brother and I have been catching up on, on that. And it's he is an interesting style of you know playing with his friends in this you know tactical military game. Uh, good editing does a lot of subtitling, which is you know not only good for if you want to port videos over to other social media platforms that have quiet video, muted audio, but uh, it makes more of an engaging watch than what otherwise may be just a a slower more dull uh, sort of military shooter so check that out kind of a a compilation of amusing moments of him with his friends so yeah Uh, Matt one that you'd like to recommend any YouTube video Uh, so without hesitation I'd say that my favorite YouTuber is George Weedman Super Bunny Hop Mm. and he put out a video very recently Uh, he is turning into something of an investigative journalist for gaming yeah and no video of his is an example of that quite as much like his recent video, How American Game Companies Avoid Paying Income Tax. Now, it's it's no secret that there is a problem with companies in America using foreign markets to avoid paying taxes. But we've never had someone examine how gaming is doing that, really. Uh, he, re- he looked at this and he said, well, no one's talking about this, so I'm going to talk about this because he wanted it to become relevant to us because it is relevant to us. This is some you know companies that we love and we are we're defending day in and day out or showing themselves to be just as bad in many ways as many other companies in America. Uh, Activision Blizzard's on that list. Valve is on that list. Companies that are avoiding, avoiding paying taxes in the markets that they are operating in. He looks at these issues, does research himself, and talks to people that are involved. Another great video of his, just to show the kind of work that he does, is when he did research on changing laws in Japan to figure out why uh, SNK was moving away from Pachinko back into games. He had to do research on gambling laws in Japan and how they were changing through early legislation. He's doing some amazing work in his latest video on companies avoiding to pay in- income tax is great because it reminds us not only that you know there's no such thing as a lack of politics in any industry because this is inherently political when game companies are lobbying for changing laws for their be- benefit, um, but it's also just fantastic to learn more about what exactly is going on because he goes into the details of how it works and how it is affecting the games that we are playing. Absolutely. And most importantly for him, he just launched a Patreon so go support George Weedman, Super Bunny Hop. Uh, I know he's also done deep dives on the Metal Gear Solid series, particularly his video on two is, granted, it's it's dated, it's a little old, but it's still a fascinating watch. Uh, so go watch and support Super Bunny Hop, absolutely. Well, Matt, I can't thank you enough. I mean, great, 
great thoughts today and I'll have to have you back on the show another time because very well spoken <laughs> and you know love talking about games this passionately with you and uh you know really really appreciate the time anything you'd like to plug I mean yeah anything really uh well uh, a good friend of mine and con- uh, frequent contributor to the show the dobaga uh does he go does he use he usually his real goes name when he, he usually goes by doba so okay so doba he uh he does a series on his twitch where he plays through the nancy drew series mm-hmm. of video games some nance drance and if uh for people listening right now he is actually in the middle of a stream right this moment uh and he's you know he's hoping to be doing this a bit more regularly he's got some plenty plenty more uh nance drance to do so you can check him out at twitch.tv slash detective dobaga uh and see him go through these games that are hardly on the radars of many people <laughs> uh some of them actually very good but some there are so very bad so many there's so many nancy drew games i was very honored to be able to visit his apartment last week uh and find that uh on his his shelf of things like uh, you know his his uh, his figures, his decorations, his games, prominently displayed as a Nancy Drew game. <laughs> oh, that poor guy. Oh boy. Well, we can find you on Twitter at Grimace Do Menace. Uh, mm-hmm. Go go follow you for sure. Matt, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. this. is This is a great great podcast. Mm-hmm course happy to be here and pretend that i know what i'm talking about for a little while <laughs> all right well we'll stay tuned to our discord channel as everything develops uh you know, it's gonna be a big week coming up here for me i'm going on work travel so as much as i'd like to stick to sunday 6 p.m i can't necessarily guarantee that i'll be out in portland maine so we'll maybe have another show from the road at the hotel but probably at a different time next week so stay tuned for all of that and whether it's live or on your own time i look forward to you joining us for our next episode With that, I'm Peter Spezia. Until next time, switch up, call in, game on.